You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Frank Solich is out as head coach at Nebraska this coming after Nebraska beat Colorado on the road and improved its win total, still with an opportunity to win 10 games. Athletic director Steve Peterson deciding that he wanted to go in a different direction. Frank Solich will not coach the bowl game. Nebraska assistants will be asked to stay on to coach the Huskers in the postseason. They decide to make the change, Trev. Is this a fair move to Frank Solich? I think this is difficult for everybody in the Husker family because of the respect for Frank Solich. He's given his entire professional career and obviously his playing career for Nebraska. But I really do believe, I think this is the right move. I think if you're really honest about it, the program had slipped into mediocrity somewhat. And the bottom line for Nebraska is this. It always has been and it always will be about winning championships. Anything less is frankly unacceptable, Mark. Maybe I'm naive about the championships in Nebraska, but if you take the average fan that's sitting in the sand, they're going to sit there and scratch their head saying, aren't we going in the right direction here at Nebraska? It's three things, Mark. You know what? It's Texas being embarrassed on the road. It's Missouri losing in the fourth quarter. And frankly, I think what it was, Kansas State at home getting blown out. Those three things, unacceptable. They had slipped to mediocrity in the Big 12 North. And I'm thinking what? Missouri has passed Nebraska right now. Well, I'll take nine and three or possibly ten wins in the season if, if that's what is making people there unhappy. I can't understand it. I think in any program, they would be very happy to go to a bowl game and win 10 games. So who's the the difference between a lot of programs, Mark, and the difference between Nebraska? Right or wrong, Nebraska views themselves as a top five program in all of college football, not just getting to a bowl game. I don't know that I was ever in shock. You know, it's um, coaching, uh, especially the sport of football, is is a tough business. I I understood that going in. You don't have... It happened the way it happened for Coach Osborne all the time in, 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 the, in the game. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of people that, that no matter what you get done, uh, want it to be a little bit better, and, and I understand that. You know, that's, that's the nature of uh, the, the, the business. So I, I don't think that I was ever truly, uh, truly shocked. It's just, uh, just what it was. I was able to move on very quickly and, uh, and just continue to do what I love. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. We start off this week's show with a trip down memory lane. You're like, wait a minute, what's that sound from? Well, that was from 2003 when Frank Solich was fired. You heard Reese Davis uh, breaking in with the news on ESPN. uh, Former Husker player, um, former ESPN commentator Trev Alberts, now the athletic director, coincidentally for the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and then Mark May, all debating that firing of Frank Solich back then, you can argue really it was the first time ever a coach with a 9-10 win type record had ever been fired. Um, for, for the reasons Frank Solich was fired, it was a debatable topic back then. It's still highly debated today. Well, Frank Solich finally came back to Nebraska this week, and you just heard his voice there before me um, addressing reporters as um, he received the Tom Osborne Legacy Award at the Outland Trophy uh, Banquet in Omaha this week. Um, and, you know, classy Frank Solich, Nate Klaus is to bring you in because uh, it would have been pretty easy for him. And I thought it was funny. He was standing in front of a bus. He could have thrown a few people underneath that bus <laughs> if he wanted to. And he, he didn't. Um, for, for everything he's been through, you know, Frank is still Frank. He's a very classy guy. And I've got a lot of respect for the way he even carried himself 15-plus years later. Yeah, I mean, he, he is very classy um, and prideful guy. I mean, you're right. He, he could have – it would be real easy to throw some people under the bus, but he would never do that. It's just not in, in his DNA, really. Uh, I don't think that he would ever publicly say anything. But at the same time, 
you, you know that this was something that, that he's had to deal with for a very long time. It's not been easy for him. Obviously, when you when you spend your entire life basically at one place and all of a sudden the, the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, um, you know, you're going to have some feelings about it. And this is kind of the first time that he's really been back around things uh, in a very, very long time. And so, uh, you know, it's good that he's back, I think, and, and uh, maybe one step closer to all the healing that, that has kind of started since Scott Frost arrived. And, and, you know, maybe this is another piece of that puzzle. And I, I think they always wanted to do something for Frank Solich, try to honor him in the stadium, do something. And this was, to me, the solution. All right. It's January. We don't have to figure out bye weeks and match things up with the guy to get him into Lincoln. Um, Tom Osborne's name is on this award. It's at the Outland Trophy Dinner in Omaha. Um, the Mancuso brothers and the organizers of the Outland, I think, came up with the idea, and, and Coach Osborne was on board, and everybody was on board, and it just made sense. I mean, I, I, I think it's only natural to kind of have some closure um, to the way things happen. And I, I said this in a lot of ways, Nate. I think if Solich would have been able to kind of get through, you know, 2003 and things would have maybe been on track, Scott Frost may have been his successor. I mean, maybe maybe it could have been Turner Gill to Scott Frost um, in between there. Uh, but there's a very good chance that, you know, Frost would have been the guy after Solich. Um, so, you know, to have him come back now only makes sense. Yeah, it really does make sense. And, and you're right. I mean, there's a good chance. There's, you know, probably an above average chance that, that Solich was able to would have been able to kind of pass the torch to another Nebraska guy, and and we, you know, we wouldn't have seen the the program kind of get away from that uh, like we did with a couple other coaches. But um, you know, the, the bottom line is he's back. Um, you know, it's the dead period, so you don't even have you know recruiting to really worry about at this point. Uh, so I mean, it was the perfect time for this to happen, and and it's a well deserved honor. I mean, I mean, you know, for say what you want about Frank Solich, um, you know, I, I think that most people will will agree that he did a lot of really really good things for this program. What I remember was in 2003, Nebraska played on Black Friday, and you know, it, it was the next day when they fired him. Right, it was a Saturday after, so. A lot of people just went on with their weekends in the media. Nobody saw that coming back then. I'll never forget that weekend. Um, and I was sitting at home in my house in Lincoln, just getting ready to graduate from UNL, but working for Husker Online and Rivals still at the time. And I mean, it was this pure scramble mode and almost disbelief. I don't think anybody really almost believed the news that night. I mean, you worked in the football department for Frank Solich at that time. I mean, can you still remember that night and kind of how it all – I don't know if you and I – trying to think if we knew each other or didn't I think we did know each other yeah. that that was when we first met was that year um so yeah I, I can only imagine what, what do you remember about that time when well, he was fired yeah I was I mean I was away that weekend uh, but when when I heard the news like I, I started getting I got a couple phone calls and and uh, you know I, I think uh, I want to say Lance Leipold called me and, and now told, the coach of Buffalo he was now the coach of Buffalo called me and, and told me that that uh, you know there was you know, there's going to be some big news coming and and uh, you know basically kind of uh, to be be aware of it but to not really you know not really talk about it or whatever and but I was out uh, that weekend you know kind of uh, back home with with my family uh, for Thanksgiving or whatever and uh, but yeah, it was it caught everybody by surprise. I think that um, you know I don't know anybody who necessarily said, yeah, this is going to happen and it's going to happen the day after the the Black Friday football game. Now I, I don't know if this was part of the story is true, but I heard Jim Rose say this this past week in Omaha on radio that uh, a note was slid underneath Frank's door informing him that he was terminated 
uh, without cause. Do you, do you know if that piece of the story was true? I've never heard that before. Because I, I don't know if Peterson, I don't know if he ever met with Frank face-to-face. I, I mean, I think it was that cold. Yeah, it was that cold. I can tell you that. From being up there, there was, <laughs> you did not see Steve Peterson up there in the, the second floor of, uh, of South Stadium uh, very, very often, if ever at all. And I, I can tell you right now that there were never really any conversations uh, that I was privy to or, or saw Peterson having with Solich or vice versa. Uh, so, yeah, I've never heard that note theory or, or you know, whatever uh, that story. But, um, you know, at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily discount it because that's the type of relationship those two had. You know, And Peterson was viewed as a guy who was going to come and, and shake things up from basically from the minute he got up, got up there as, a, as the athletic director. And so I, there was always kind of some some worry or trepidation. Um, you know, around the coaches' offices from from a couple of the, you know, handful of the coaches that, that something like this could happen. You didn't even realize it at the time, but when Solich put all those new assistant hires on two-year contracts, he did all of that kind of in the transition when Peterson first got to Nebraska. Peterson was not happy. He, he was dis- – I mean, he was mad back then that Frank put Bo Pelini and all that – Marvin Sanders, that whole group of new guys, the Barney Conn. Yeah. He gave them all two-year contracts – and um, you kind of figured out why at that point. I mean, his his goal and plan was to come in here and, and shake up the football program, and we know he did, and it didn't work out very well for him. And, you know, a lot of people uh, left and good people left, and, you know, here we are back today, kind of back on that path. But good to see Frank Solich back here um, in Nebraska. Um, ha- had a chance to see him here in Omaha and uh, get recognized. When we come back, uh, we are going to shift over to Nebraska basketball. The Huskers have a big game this weekend of Indiana. Um, after a couple of tough road losses, we'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on the latest with Nebraska basketball. Next, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, talking some Nebraska basketball now as... It has not been the start of conference play that Nebraska really wanted, Robin, and it's not going to get any easier here on Monday. The Huskers have to go out to Indiana, uh, play another road game. I mean, the way the the draw has broken up, they have played so many road games, um, and and, and that's been very difficult because, as we know, this is a very difficult league to win on in the road, especially this year. Well, yeah, and that was, we knew that going in uh, with the win. As soon as the conference schedule was announced, that it was going to be very front-loaded and very back-loaded. And so right now they're going through um, arguably the most difficult stretch of their conference schedule. I mean, you start with road games at Maryland, at Iowa, um, two borderline top 25 teams right out of the chute. Um, and then obviously Penn State on, on Thursday and then Indy going to Indiana again. That's a grind. And then, oh, by the way, you get to come home again and play Michigan State uh, on Thursday. So uh, it, it's... Uh, being thrown into the fire right out of the gates, and that's nothing new for Nebraska. I mean, they always get the short end of the stick when it comes to Big Ten scheduling. And honestly, if you look at the rest of the conference schedules, I don't think anyone has such a road-heavy start to their Januaries than Nebraska. So that's something that um, we knew was going to be an issue for them uh, going into it. A lot of people thought they would lose three other first four, uh, maybe even four other first five, um, and then they would have to rebound with a little bit more favorable middle stretch before things pick back up when they have Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan, and then Iowa to close out the year. Well, and I still think this is interesting because the the net rankings are, as we've talked about, the new RPI, the number one metric the selection committee is going to use. And even though Nebraska keeps losing these opening road games in the league, 
they still have a very, very attractive net ranking that's been as high as 12 in the last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they've been consistently right in that top 15, top 20 range um, in a ranking system that is updated daily. So this isn't something that, you know, they were ranked high before losing two straight. Uh, they've kind of sustained that, and a lot of it has to do with their strength of schedule. The fact that Texas Tech is as good as they are. Uh, Minnesota is a lot better than they were Clemson. back in December. Clemson's better. Um, you know, Creighton, they're still hanging in there. And then obviously Maryland and Iowa are, are in that top 25 range. Seton so, Hall. Yeah, Seton Hall, that win all of a sudden is their best win of the year. So, uh, I mean, yes, it's been disappointing to lose those games, but they are right in the conversation of where they need to be. And as long as they defend uh, home court and find a way to take a couple of these on the, maybe one or two on the road, and I don't care who it is or where it is, just to get some true road wins in conference to make it you know seem like you're not completely dependent on your home court advantage, they're going to be just fine. Like we've said all along, if they go 10-10 and 10 in conference play, they are going to be, it's not a matter of being on the bubble. They will be firmly in the tournament, and it's a matter of where they'll be seated. And I, I think that's that's the gripe people have. I think people know how good this team can be when they're on because we've seen yeah, it. Yeah, but they're, they got five players. They have no bench. They have a lot of weaknesses and a lot of holes. And so people that think this is like a, a guaranteed Sweet 16 team are just delusional. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of flaws, and they've been able to make up for it until recently when um, you know some of those disadvantages, particularly on the glass and defensive uh, post, uh, depth they've they've struggled mightily and so i think that they're you know this is what we thought they were going to be when the starters are good they are extremely good when those starters have off nights which uh in recent games you've had one or two of those guys really fall off um that's when they start to struggle because they do not have a bench that can pick up the load um when a james palmer glenn watson isaac copeland uh, has a has a bad game i thought iowa really uh put together a very interesting defensive game plan with how they went at nebraska and it's probably something they're going to see more of robin um, they, you know, run that three-quarter court press where, you know, the time Nebraska gets set on offense, it's 15, 18 yeah. on the shot clock, and then they don't allow James Palmer to do anything. I mean, they overplay him and, and just make his life hell uh, where he's not able to kind of dictate a game. Um, and, and I thought Iowa, you know, a team not really known for their defense, shut down Nebraska. Well, and what was weird is Nebraska's been pretty good against the press outside of that game. I mean, Illinois came at him with they, – they have as, as aggressive – of a press defense, as you'll see in the conference, Creighton pressed them. Uh, Texas Tech threw a little bit at them. And so they've seen some uh, aggressive you know, three-quarter and full-court presses, and they've been okay. Uh, cer- certainly not nearly um, struggling with it as much as they did at Iowa. I think that the issue was not only did they press, Iowa played more zone in that game than they had all season. And so they, they made Nebraska work just to get it past half court. And once they did, they dropped back into a zone and made Nebraska beat them from the three-point line. And Nebraska went four of 23, a season low, four made three-pointers in that game. And th- it was the formula that Fran McCaffrey put together worked to perfection. And on the other end, Iowa dictated the tempo, and that is something that Nebraska cannot allow to happen. That is their number one strength, is creating offense through their defense, um, setting the pace, and scoring in transition. Iowa scored 26 transition points in that game, and that's that's inexcusable. They were the ones that were pushing the pace, controlling the entire tempo of the game, and Nebraska was just trying to play catch-up all night. I thought that three that Bohannon hit right before half was one of the biggest plays because Nebraska could have, you know, yeah, it was, cut it to one, cut it to one, and then they go back up four, and and just just the feel of that shot turned that game in the locker room because Nebraska's like, all right, we're back in, and then Bohannon's like, no, you're not. Yeah, we're, well, we're time back. and again, they cut it to 
five or less, I think, like four or five times, maybe even six, uh, in the final ten minutes of that game. And it was Bo Hannon hitting a three to uh, end the threat. And he liked to run his mouth a little bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll tell you what. If he, I'd like to see if he would go and get in Isaac Copeland's face like that if they were anywhere else than Harvard Carver Hawkeye Arena because – uh, I think there's a bit of a mismatch there. And he'll, they, they come to Lincoln, <laughs> Iowa does, right? They do. The very last, the senior night, March 10th on That's Sunday. That's going to get chippy. It should. I mean, I, I mean, I tell you what, talking to Isaac Copeland after that game, he was still very upset about that. We asked him, you know, um, about kind of how the emotions got involved in that game. He's like, hey, if you follow my team like that, like that ever again, I'm going to let you know about it. And so um, they're going to remember that. And uh, that game could have some pretty big implications as far as Big Ten tournament seating and uh, as far as NCAA tournament seating. Yeah, we talked about that Creighton game earlier this year, how hostile that was. That Iowa game in Lincoln in March will definitely kind of have, I think, yep. a similar feel just with um, – just as we know, the the rivalry between the Nebraska and the Iowa fan bases goes. But, Robin, you, you look at Indiana, what worries you about this matchup and kind of as you kind of look ahead to Monday night? Yeah, I mean, they're uh, as good of an offense as Nebraska is going to see um, just with the athleticism and you know, the, the versatility they have. Um, they are what they have a two point uh field goal percentage or offensive percentage of about 60%, which is top five nationally. Uh, their effective field goal percentage is, you know, upwards around 57, 58%, which is top 10 nationally. Uh, and so, I mean, across the board, you know, obviously Romeo Langford, uh, the five-star freshman who's one and done, uh, going to be in the NBA next year. And then Juwan Morgan, who is a reigning all big 10 player, probably going to be a two-time all big 10 selection after this season. Uh, and then you just go down the, the list. I mean, they, they've got a lot of depth and a lot of skill, uh, that is really hard to match up with, especially for a Nebraska team that doesn't have depth. You know, they, they need their starters to be at their best for, you know, 35, 38 minutes uh, to, to really keep up with this one on the road where Indiana is extremely difficult to beat. You're listening here to the Husker Alliance show as we uh, put a wrap here on basketball. And then what do they have after Indiana, Robin? What's the rest of it look like going forward? Uh, yeah, they come back home, of course, to face Michigan State on Thursday. Um, that'll be that'll be a daunting one. But then... It'll be uh, underdogs for a yeah, few, few, probably. Not much. Yeah, then they go to Rutgers. Um, that's a, definitely a winnable game. Then they host Ohio State. Uh, that's a winnable game. Um, then they go they host Wisconsin, which... Um, and then Illinois, Maryland, Purdue. All those games, you know, if you look at Ken Palm, are like five points. And so they're basically toss-ups the rest of the way. And the fact that they get the majority of those at home... That's where Nebraska has to make hay. And, you know, if you can go on the road and somehow knock off a Purdue or, you know, maybe even a – I'm trying to think of a, a viable one that they have left. Illinois maybe. I mean, that's not going to do anything. So I guess there's a couple opportunities left to go on the road and steal a good quality conference road win. But winning at home is first and foremost the number one priority where you got to stockpile those wins and get as close to 500 yeah. as possible. And that, and that that's the key. That conference record needs to be as close to 9 and 10, 9 10 wins, 11 mm-hmm. wins as possible. And, yeah. and and you're in good shape. I mean, even 8 and 12 is going to be tough, I would think. Yeah. 9 and 11 you, you're you're in bubble territory right there, I think. But if they're if they're a 10 win uh, Big Ten team, that's going to put them upwards around 20 overall victories, and you know they're going to be in a good spot. But so. the Pac-12 is only going to get like, like one or two. Yeah, 
And yeah. The big East is going to be down bids this year. They're only going to get like three. The key is getting those uh, mid majors to not steal bids. You know, you got to have those top teams win their conferences, not have any conference tournament drama. That's I mean, the bids. ACC and the Big Ten though together could mm-hmm. almost take up like eighteen to twenty bids right there. Yeah, and deservingly so. And again, that's reflective of how good the Big Ten is this year. And so, yes, they've gotten off to a rough start uh, this month, but um, opportunity is a plenty over the next couple months. All right, when we come back, we'll bring in Husker Line intern Grace. Harmon and take your questions in the mailbag. That's next here, listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, pleased to be joined by Husker Online intern, Miss Grace Harmon. It's good to have you back in here, Grace. How you doing? Thanks, I'm doing great. Just getting used to classes again. Back on the, how many hours you got this semester? Just 12, so pretty, pretty easy. Pretty light. That's a, that's a Nate Klaus kind of class load there. It's a good, it's going to be a good semester. Well, what do you got? We got the mailbag here out of the gates. What do you have to start out with? All right, my first question is, how many years does it truly take to build an offensive and defensive front that can match up at the levels that people were accustomed to in the 90s um, and that can match up with uh, lines like Clemson and Alabama, Georgia? Um, I mean, you think about when Bo Pelini was here, he did have that to an extent. I mean, you think back to 2009, 2010, 2008 even. I mean, they, they had NFL linemen on both sides of the ball that moved elite level top five teams like Texas, Oklahoma, et cetera. Um, so I, I really think two to three solid years of recruiting and development, you can get it there. And as we know, Nebraska is not there. They only had about six offensive linemen that could really play at Big Ten level. And I maybe even use that aggressively when I say Big Ten level. And on the defensive line, um, Nebraska had to play their guys way more snaps than necessarily necessary. So it's going to take time. Um, I think by year three, though, you're going to really see the numbers and the depth be where it needs to be. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty accurate timeline. Um, obviously, recruiting, uh, if you do a couple, like two or three classes at an elite level, it doesn't take that long. And then the next part to that is you need to have the right development going on, uh, strength and conditioning and coaching. And I think right now, Nebraska has both of those in place. So um, as long as the recruiting continues to stay up to par, uh, I think it will not take uh, much more than a couple years for Nebraska to make significant improvements on both sides of the trenches yeah I think through your process for me and and the key is recruiting players that can not only like step in and play basically from day one but also playing uh, or recruiting guys that have high ceilings that you can develop uh, for you know for a year or two before they are ready to see the field if you get a mixture of those guys each year uh, including maybe you know maybe a couple of juco guys or whatever I, I think within three years you can you can look drastically different in the trenches this one isn't about Nebraska, but what's your take on the two Michigan assistants uh, kind of jumping ship to Ohio State? Do you consider it more of a lack of loyalty, or is it the writing on the wall for Harbaugh? I think it's the nature of the business, man. The The processor's out right now. Dudes are getting processed, and you know what that means. It's coaches making moves that appear to maybe even be lateral or don't mm-hmm. make sense, um, and it has a lot to do with – Either one, they know the situation they're in is maybe not good with their head coach, or number two, their head coach has told them, you know what, Robin, maybe it's a good idea for you to kind of look at some options right now, and and, and, and these guys have done that. Yeah, it happens all the time, um, and a lot of times it's coaches, for one, being a little proactive uh, and seeing you know things are a little bit shaky right now, and sometimes the head coaches are blatantly honest with them, it's like, hey. 
I don't know what my future is here. If you have the opportunity to find something a little more stable, jump at it. I won't hold it against you. I know that that's, that's happened plenty of times um, around the country. And so I don't know if that necessarily is the move, especially when you're talking about a longtime coach going from Michigan to Ohio State. Uh, that was a little weird, but um, maybe it was a situation where, you know, was, he, he kind of saw what was going to become here in the next year or two, especially with, you know, the NFL interest Harbaugh has been getting and um, kind of the unsettledness of the uh, Michigan fan base. Well, the, the, the knock on Harbaugh, I think, all along has been that, you know, after four years or so, he kind of starts to wear out his welcome. Well, maybe that's what this is. Maybe maybe these guys are saying, you know what, I don't like working for this guy. And all of a sudden, uh, you've got the, the team, you know, their their rival, you know, you got a new new blood in there at, at head coach, and um, you know, obviously they just got done, you know, putting the smackdown on you, and uh, so you you go and you switch allegiances a little bit. I think that's the layer though that makes this so interesting is there there is legit hate between these two programs, and uh, these guys, especially a longtime coach like Greg Greg Madison, is is gone and, and well, made Madison that. was there with Brady Hoke before, that. yeah, yeah, he's been there for for a long long time, and and so you know you know that he's got some some feelings with between in this rivalry and now he's just jumped jump ship it's pretty interesting there's guys though in, in coaching Nate we've joked about this we call them the master escape artists they know how to yep. kind of get out before the the house burns down yeah you can you can play things to your advantage you get good at doing that if you've been around the block a, a time or two and and so maybe that's what this what this is these guys knew that uh, maybe they saw the writing on the wall for their careers at, at Michigan and so they decided to uh, to kind of parlay that into an, one last one last hurrah at uh, at Ohio State. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with Grace Harmon. What do you have next, Grace? All right. Well, back to Nebraska. Which freshman that redshirted this past year do you think will make the biggest impact next year? Um, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of guys, obviously, that you could look at right now um, as far as the redshirt freshmen go. Um, I think Miles Jones is a name. I'm going to watch closely, and then I'll say Cameron Jurgens on the offensive line. And those are two immediate ones and obvious ones, and I'm sure I took, as I joke every time, Robin and Nates. No, uh, that's those are two definitely obvious ones. But um, Brax, what? Who was the defensive back that was going to play? Braxton or no, C.J. Smith. C.J. Smith. That's the guy. The guy who got hurt in uh, like one game. play against Northwestern. Yeah, the, yeah, he was already on his way to being firmly in the fold in that secondary, and then that injury kind of uh, had them. Uh, force them to change their plans a little bit. So I think that as long as he's recovered um, as expected from that injury, he will be right back in that conversation to potentially, if not compete for a starting job, compete for significant playing time next season. Uh, you guys, you guys picked some good ones there. Uh, some that, that <laughs> came out of my pool. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I got to go with Miles Jones on the offensive side of the football. I think that he's somebody um, that that can make an immediate impact. Uh, and I'm, I'm also going to go with a, a guy like Katarian Legron. I, I think he showed a couple things um, in his limited action this year, uh, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do, especially since Jurgens has kind of moved out of the mix there at tight end, and uh, he may get another opportunity there. You've got 11 guys that redshirted from the freshman class. Then Noah Vedrill and Jalen Bradley also redshirted. So I believe it's 13. 13 players and then DeAndre Thomas would be 14 so 14 scholarship guys redshirted last year for Nebraska all right with the 2019 class winding down which position do you think will get the most focus for 2020 uh, you know they've got their quarterback I mean I, I I think you stay on the lines I mean I, re I really think 
O-line, D-line has to continue to be a priority for Nebraska when you look at what you have to have to win in this league. Um, I don't know if there's just one glaring need, but I always go to the lines. Yeah, I, I got to go with the lines too. I think that's where you start, especially defensive line where you've got five seniors that are going to be leaving the program. Um, you know, and obviously the the O line is is still a position group where you need to continue building depth. Uh, wide receiver too is another spot where I think you you need to to add a couple uh, big time playmakers. You're losing Mike Williams, Jerron Woodyard after this year. Um, you know, and, and heck, maybe even a JD Spielman if if he decides to come out early after a good season. So um, you know, those that's that's one skill group where I think they really need to add a couple difference makers. We got time for one last question here in the mailbag. What do you have, Grace? All right, kind of an off-the-wall question. What is your guys' favorite Nebraska microbrew beer? Now, what you, now, have you ventured into microbrews yet, Grace? What's yours? Uh, I like, I mean, Zipline, is that, does that count? Yeah, okay. Zipline is. Okay, oh, yeah. so Zipline, like the lighter side of Zipline, not the darker. College kids, though, like they still, I mean, they're drinking the cheap stuff. It's they're, like the Natty Lights, like the Bush go. Lights. Yeah. Bud Co- Lights. Course. Like, I can do course. Quantity over quality. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, there's a lot of good ones in the state of Nebraska. Um, I, I've always been a Zipline guy. Really like our neighbors down the road, though, can cater. Um, I think they're doing some good things. Um, and you know they're they're in more stores now around Lincoln than they ever have been before. And the new the new tap room here in Lincoln, I think, is one of the best spots right now in the Haymarket. So I'm going to say can cater. Yeah, uh, zip. I'm a, I'm a zipline guy, but another one that I very much enjoy is White Elm uh, over there on over by Van Dorn, South Ninth, whatever. That's really good. And they sell it in the stores. Oh yeah, you can get it anywhere in the grocery store. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I'm probably. I've always been a big zipline guy. Uh, their brewery is not too far away from my house, but I, I'm kind of. I've been turned on to White Elm here lately, and then the like you said, Sean, the kin- the Kincader Tap Room here down in the Haymarket is is fantastic. Nebraska they, Brewing Company is also really really. They're good. the ones with the cans where you rip the whole top off, yes, right? Which and, I don't quite understand. I don't know if that's just like a gimmick thing. I, I was trying to figure out the functionality of that. They yeah. own the patent of that. I don't think any other place can like yeah. copy that idea. It's weird. I like it. I mean, you get like that wide <laughs> grip on on it, you know, and it's easier like, to choke. Right? It's like you're holding a pint glass, a twelve ounce <laughs> glass in your hand, but you don't right. have to poke a hole in it when you shotgun beer. That's yeah, right. <laughs> makes it even easier. Well, hey, uh, thanks, Grace, and um, <laughs> thank we, you. We come back here on the show. We're going to bring in one of Nate and Greg's recruiting interviews from San Antonio. We didn't get this on last week, but I wanted to get in Noah Paula Gates. He's going to be making his decision here at the Polynesian Bowl. And we've got the latest from Paula Gates. You'll hear that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here as we're talking some recruiting here. Before we bring in Nate Klaus here later on in the show to talk more recruiting, wanted to give you some more stuff from the All-American Bowl in San Antonio as there were three Husker uh, recruits in that game, running back slash receiver Wandale Robinson, offensive lineman Bryce Benhart, and defensive lineman Ty Robinson, but the other being a key target, Noah Paula Gates out of Arizona, a safety uh, who a lot of people think Nebraska is the team to beat right now um, going into that game. And as he gets ready to make that January 19th decision at the Polynesian Bowl out in Hawaii, uh, we had a chance to catch up with Paula Gates and just get some more insight with him. Here's more from Noah Paula Gates in San Antonio. 
Nebraska target Noah Pola Gates took some time to talk with us following practice at the All-American Bowl this week as he gets ready to announce where he will be going to school next week at the Polynesian Bowl. Now first we'll start with the recruiting. Um, you've kind of narrowed things down to right. uh, what, USC, Arizona State, Nebraska. Yes, I mean, what is it about those three schools um, specifically that, that has kind of gotten you to this point? Um, I say uh, I love Nebraska because they're fans and their coaching staff and uh, the team they're just well bonded together and then i say usc because i have family ties there and then uh, arizona because it's close to home okay um now i know you've got a, a cousin that's signed to play softball at nebraska is that yeah right? okay. kp yeah um yeah i mean is, is that kind of did you ever think that that would you know be something where you would be looking at a, a school that, that maybe your cousin would be going to um actually like when I took my official, like I wasn't really expecting anything, but they opened my eyes definitely. Now I know you got another cousin Matthew, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, do you know if is he looking at, at taking a visit to Nebraska? Yeah, he's actually going to take a visit after the Polynesian Bowl, and I think I'm gonna go with him. Okay, um, you know, and then so you're announcing at the Polynesian Bowl. I mean, ultimately, you know, what is it going to be that kind of puts that team over the top for you? Um. I don't know. Uh, it's just uh, I got to feel home. Okay, so I mean, it's, it just kind of comes down to, to a gut feeling yeah. where you feel most comfortable? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and then what's this experience been like? I know you, you finished off a, a terrific high school career, mm-hmm. one uh, DB of the year in the state of yeah. Arizona, and now you're here and right. playing in your last high school game. And what's mm-hmm. this mean to you? Uh, it means everything because I get to come out here and show the uh, country what I'm about, put my name out there. And what is uh, what have the practices been like? I mean, any, anybody kind of catch your catch your eyes? I know everyone's a great player out here, but yeah. anybody catching your attention? Um, I say all the wide receivers because I was I was expecting just them to be big, but they're quick and fast as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, now you, you're playing just primarily safety this week. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I guess are they looking at you? Um, you know, playing any certain packages, or are you you just rolling rolling at safety? Um. Yeah, or are you talking about here? Yeah, here. Yeah, um, they had me mostly at safety, but I was going to try to wiggle my way, probably corner and nickel in there. Okay, and I know you play both ways in high school. Yeah. And you return some kicks and things like that. You, you going to oh. be doing any of that on Saturday? Uh, uh, I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to be on kickoff. Okay. But uh, I think they put me on part return, but I'm not sure. Okay, now we've talked with uh, some of the Nebraska commits that are here. They said that they're kind of they're in your ear. Yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah. They, what, uh, what are some of the things they've been saying to you? Uh, like every time they see me when we're in like the lounge back home uh, at the hotel, they, they always say uh, GBR or what are you waiting on? Come join the wave, stuff like that. Okay, um, and then, you know, I know that you've had all the, the coaches come in your home and, mm-hmm. and everything. You know, what, what was that like having um, you know, head coaches from all these schools in your home and, and really just all the, the coaches in general? Any, anything about those home visits kind of stand out to you? Um, it showed me like how the coaching staff is and uh, who, truly who the uh, head coaches really are and their personalities. Um, and then I saw a picture of uh, Javen Wright and Toby Wright over. Yeah. At, was that at, over at your house? Mm-hmm. Um, do you know Javen Wright? And, and yeah, I actually well? played uh, youth football, and then Toby Wright trained my brother uh, for football as well. Okay, uh, so a little bit of a connection there. Yeah. Um, and then had your paths ever crossed with uh, with Ty in Arizona? 
Yeah, we. Uh, he goes to Higley, and I go to Williamsfield, and we're rivals. Oh, okay. So yeah. So you got you got a little bad blood with him a little bit. <laughs> Not really. We're maybe we're pretty. Yeah, we're pretty good now. That's my guy. I love him. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that he's actually good. my roommate too. So. Oh, is he here? Yeah. Okay. That, that works out pretty well. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Anything great? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, like we were talking about earlier. You know, you also have some other ties with uh, you know your mom. Kind of explain uh, that to everybody. Um, she uh, she works with uh, people people's mortgages in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they have a branch out there as well. And if you if you did. Coming in Nebraska, she might move with you. Is that the deal? Yeah, that was definitely a thought for her. Yeah. Reporting from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, for Nate Klaus, I'm Greg Peterson for HuskerOnline.com. And thanks again to both Husker Online's Nate Klaus and Greg Peterson for that interview with four-star safety target Noah Paula Gates from San Antonio. When we come back, we'll bring Nate back into the show as uh, the dead period's over. The coaches are back out on the road bringing in visitors. We'll get the latest from Nate Klaus on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we talk some recruiting. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's here, watch all the college basketball, NFL playoffs this weekend, get some of their award-winning wings at any one of the five Omaha and one Lincoln Tanner's locations. But, Nate, let's talk some recruiting here as we close out this week's show. The dead period is over. Nebraska's back on the road. Um, still a couple things, though, we're waiting for answers on. Number one, Dedrick Mills. Let's start right there. Has not signed his letter. Has until January 15th, um, so less than a week uh, where he could sign. Uh, we know this, though. He's not an early enrollee, but I think Nebraska would like to get that done because his value to the season means that much. What do you anticipate or what do you know right now about Dedrick Mills? Well, according to Dedrick Mills, he says that he's going to be signing with Nebraska, um, just waiting to clear some things up, and, and that he'll be uh, on campus in June, apparently. So, I mean, you kind of have to take what he says um, and, and, you know, uh, kind of roll with that, I guess, right now. I mean, I, I, I do think that Nebraska would like to have him wrapped up by January 15th. Uh, obviously, he's a, he's a big part of this class. When, when you look at what they've lost from their running back room and, and what they're bringing in, it sure would be nice to have a guy, um, you know, an accomplished Division One football player, you know, a freshman All-American type of guy um, and a junior college All-American type of player to, to come in and, and uh, you know, help share that load with, uh, with a Maurice Washington or, or whatever. So uh, that would be big if that can happen. You know, obviously, things haven't necessarily gone according to plan. You know, Nebraska – had had been hopeful that he would be a mid-year guy uh, for whatever reason didn't didn't necessarily work out that way uh, but certainly I think that he's a talent he's a guy that that could come in and still e- even though he's not coming in at, you know going through spring football and, and whatnot he, he could come in and play um, you know right away you're listening here to the Husker Lions show Sean Callahan Nate Klaus and uh, we, we talk about another guy Desmond Bland um, still hasn't signed, will not sign until February, more than likely, if he does sign with Nebraska, as I, I think his status remains unknown. And, and there were some conflicting report, reports out there. One that said he was offered by Texas, looking at Texas. Then our own Brian Munson, um, who's based out of Dallas, the Dallas area, spoke with Desmond, 
has not had any offers from Texas, just some mild Twitter conversation. So it's hard to make what that was all about, the whole Twitter um, exchanges and, and whatnot with Desmond Blano, Texas, and kind of where things are at with Nebraska right now. Yeah, I think that's between both Mills and Bland. I think Bland is the one where uh, your guess is as good as mine right now because, uh, you know, with his coach moving on and, and uh, you know, and actually taking over for, for uh, you know, at the same school that Dedrick Mills is at in Garden City, um, you know, it, it, Desmond Bland is out there, out there in Arizona Western with no head coach. Uh, you know, he, he had originally been slated to, to be an early graduate, early enrollee in December. Uh, again, for whatever reason, that did not happen. And it's been hard to really get like concrete information about what what exactly needs to be done, what what he's doing. Um, you know, if he's still completely solid to Nebraska, you know, there was all the Florida State talk that he was going to be taking a visit there. And then just this week, a lot of a lot of talk about Texas. But um, you know, I think at the end of the day, if Desmond Bland signs with Nebraska, I, I think that would be kind of a cherry on top. I wouldn't necessarily bank on that happening, but I think it would still be a good addition if it did happen. So if, let's assume Mills and Bland both sign, and we think. Mills will Bland's kind of up in the air. Does that give them four more spots from your estimation that they need to fill here before the February signing day? Yeah, for sure three and probably four. Um, you know, they need at least one outside linebacker, one cornerback, and one safety in this class. And and you know, if you get both Mills and Bland to sign, and they're going to be on campus in June, uh, and then if you can close out with a guy like Noah Pola Gates, um, you know, and then a cornerback like a DJ James or or a Tavian Mayo, Jamel Starks, and then an outside linebacker like a, a Dylan Jordan um, or a Stephen Parker or Sony Fanua, um, you know. Mike Lockhart, one of those guys, you know, that's, I think that would be kind of the ideal finish. Now, and then if you have any extra space, then you're, you're talking about maybe uh, bringing in a, a defensive tackle like Matthew Polamayau uh, or a, or a, uh, you know, a four-star wide receiver like Charles Njoku out of New Jersey. Um, so I, I'm anticipating anywhere from three to five additional commitments uh, with, with, you know, some of that hinging on what's, what exactly is going to transpire with a Dedrick Mills and a Desmond Bland. Dylan Jordan's a guy, though, that, you know, you, you look at just how his recruiting has gone out of Pittsburgh, Kansas. Nebraska was his first offer. Utah followed. Kansas followed. Kansas State followed. Auburn followed. Uh, I'm missing TCU. one. TCU followed. So um, he's somebody I think Nebraska is going to get a lot of respect from because they came in first and then it opened the floodgates for him. Uh, but that's going to be a battle to watch. He's going to make a visit to Utah this weekend, but Nebraska is going to go in there Friday morning just to spend a couple hours with him before he heads off to the Kansas City airport to fly up to Utah. Yeah, I think that tells you exactly where um, you know where he's at on Nebraska's board. Is that he's a high value target. Uh, for them at that outside linebacker position. I, I spoke briefly with Dylan, and, and he said, yeah, Coach Held is coming up Friday morning and uh, is going to hang out with me before I leave uh, to to the airport for my Utah official visit. And I said, oh, when do you leave for, for your Utah official visit? He goes, 1030 in the morning. So so Held is getting there uh, bright and early and is going to spend a couple hours with him and a family uh, before they get in their car service and, and travel from Pittsburgh to Kansas City and then, of course, fly from Kansas City out to to, out to Utah. So you don't do that um, coming out of the dead period with somebody that that uh, you just have casual interest in. This is somebody that they would they would really really like to add. Now, obviously he's extremely athletic. 
I don't know exactly why it took so long for the the momentum to build on the recruiting front, other than location. You know, yeah, location, and and maybe he had some some academic issues that people were were kind of paying attention to to see how he, his first semester of the senior year finished up. But uh, but you turn on the tape and holy cow, this kid is one heck of an athlete. He makes plays all over the place. May not be quite the ideal size that Nebraska is you know necessarily looking for at the outside linebacker position, but he's not far off, and so. I think when you when you combine that with uh, with his athleticism, you say okay, and then of course the proximity to to Lincoln. I think you say okay, yeah, this is a kid that we need to push hard for. And then Nate, you just heard from Noel Paul Gates in that last segment. That was your interview that you guys did with him down in San Antonio. The Polynesian Bowl is this weekend, right? No, it's January nineteenth. January nineteenth. So another week. Um, but just your read, your feel on that situation as we get closer to January 19th. Yeah, I feel really good about Nebraska's uh, chances here. I, I think that I think right now, for me at least, all, all signs are kind of pointing in that direction. I mean, you've got you got his cousin who's signed to play softball with the Huskers. You've got his mom who works for a mortgage company that's based out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Her boss, who she's very close with, is based out of Lincoln, Nebraska, and is a huge Nebraska fan. Um, you know, and, and there may even be an opportunity for her and the family to to transfer to Lincoln. Um, you know, so uh, you've got that. You've got the possibility of his other cousin, Matthew Pola Mayall, um, you know, potentially joining Nebraska in this recruiting class, too. He's going to be taking his official visit the week after, um, you know, the, the Polynesian Bowl. You've got – and he even kind of mentioned that he may end up – Coming up on the you know, on an official visit or unofficial visit when Matthew Polamao is is on his official visit, and I don't see you doing that, you know, a week after you commit to some other school. So, um, you know, there's just a lot of signs kind of pointing in Nebraska's direction right now. I know that's, that that uh, the the Huskers were the last team to to get that in home visit before the dead period started. Um, and, and obviously they'll be uh, heading back out there to, to do some more in-homes uh, before he makes his decision. But uh, I, I feel really good about Nebraska's chances there. And then Wondell Robinson, I have to ask you, Nate, you were down in San Antonio, you were around him. You had an idea that he was a good player going in, but was he better than you even thought? He was a lot better than I even thought. And I, and I, ha- I had a very high opinion of him before the week in San Antonio. But I'll tell you what, after seeing him in person against the top talent in the country, you know, I mean, all elite players, he was just on a different level. And and the kicker for me was he was doing that on on a, on a less than 100% ankle. Uh, he'd kind of re-aggravated a high ankle sprain that he, he suffered at the end of his uh, senior year. Uh, he kind of re-aggravated that while he was training for the, the All-American game. Um, and so that bugged him all week long. He could have easily just hung it up and said, you know what, I'm going to be in Lincoln in a few days to start my college career. I'm not going to do anything uh, to aggravate this even more. Uh, and there were some other guys out there, some high-profile recruits that just kind of you know, went through about 20 minutes of the first practice and, and pulled up lame and checked out, checked out and just had a vacation, uh, you know, the rest of the week. Didn't do anything. Did they play in the game then? Nope. Didn't even play in the game. They um, were just down there for the river walk. They were down there for the, the river walk and all the all the, the free gear and everything. The Adidas gear. Because they, the, they get about, what, three, four pairs of shoes. Oh, and, they got retail. They got over $6,000 worth of gear retail. So, yeah, they got loaded up with tons and tons of gear. But, um, yeah, I don't think that um, 
he, I mean, he didn't have to do that, but he did. Uh, but just seeing his him being on a different level with when you talk to the the coaches on the East team, and they said, "Yeah, we're working him as a slot receiver. We're working him as a running back, a wildcat quarterback, in addition to being a kick returner." You don't do that in a in an All Star game unless you're just on a totally different level. Um, and because they wanted to get him as many touches as possible. Now he didn't end up scoring a touchdown in the game, but you saw them go out of their way to get him the football, and you saw what he did with it when he did. Get get it um, I mean he's, he made some electric plays but the thing the kicker for me was just his overall level of maturity uh, he's a very smart kid uh, very intelligent kid and, and extremely mature after talking with him throughout the week I I kind of got the same feel that I had with Adrian Martinez um, and, and now obviously being able to be around Adrian for the for this whole season uh, I think they're kind of cut out of the same mold in terms of being a leader and being very very mature in addition to being athletically gifted well that wraps it up here for this week's edition of the Husker Online show Wandell Robinson by the way already on campus started his uh, Husker career uh, as an early enrollee so we'll get a chance to see him here over the spring and hear all about him here in winter conditioning Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.